The Right Hook Podcast. With the Mitsubishi Commercial Range. Pajero Executive, Pajero Commercial, Outlander Business and new L200. All with a leading five-year commercial warranty. MitsubishiMotors.ie It's Monday. It's the right hook, and it's news talk. George Hook here, and uh, I've got some of the things that really got me going today on today's program. We're broadcasting this week from Boston, and we're in the magnificent football stadium at Boston College, uh, where our studio is. It's all, of course, part of the Gateway to Europe initiative as... Irish entrepreneurs are here in America with a view to bringing business and, more importantly, jobs back to Ireland. I'm joined now by the newly elected independent TD for Dublin Southwest, Catherine Zappone. Deputy Zappone, welcome to the program. Uh, thank you, George. It's great to be here. Uh, Yes, well, I'm in your beloved uh, United States of America. Um, and you're, I'm sitting you're in not... your chair. <laughs> Listen, you're not overly. This is the best part of my week. <laughs> you're not overly popular, chair. apparently. <laughs> is that right? For yeah. uh, supporting um, the possible formation of a government. In uh-huh. other words, voting for a Fine Gael minority government. Yes. Why did you do that? Well, George, um, I decided uh, that I didn't think there was really anyone else that uh, would be have the possibility of providing an alternative uh, to a Fine Gael-led minority government, and that um, you know we've been in talks for a number of weeks, um, and that I believed it was time just to indicate that you know I would be willing to participate in government. I don't think people voted for a government that would consist only of Fine Gael, and I also felt at the time that throughout all of those talks that there was an openness and a willingness to uh, of, of Fine Gael to take in some of the my, my vision and my practice of trying to achieve uh, greater equality really within Irish society. You see, there, there is a lot of criticism out there. It, it's a very Irish thing that there is criticism out there. Why isn't everybody doing something to try and form a government? Yes. And I have to say, um, I, 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 I thought it was very Irish that when somebody like you then attempts to help that formation of a government, you get criticized as well. So I wonder what the Irish actually want. But <laughs> I'm wondering, wondering too. <laughs> <laughs> now, exactly. one of the criticisms yes. of um, Catherine Zappone TD, um, <clears throat> formerly independent senator, of course, is that uh, the the uh, independents in general and 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 many of them specifically have asked for things which are purely personal, are hugely expensive for a future Irish government and economy. You must have co- you must have commitments that you would want if you were to be in a min- part of a minority government. So, what sort of commitments do you want? Okay. Yes. Thank you, George. Um, I do. I mean, I'm I I received some commitments uh, prior to the vote, and I'm pursuing more commitments. I think just like all of the other independents are currently doing in these in these last couple of days. Um, one of the first things I wanted uh, to see was that a, a Fine Gael-led uh, minority government would actually put a significant amount more money uh, into public services than they had initially indicated. And you know, George, when we received their first paper on how much they were willing to invest in public services over the next five years, it said 4 billion euros. And I didn't think that was enough. And I spoke spoke very strongly um, at, at that session with Michael Noonan and others uh, to identify, w- you know, that why, why that wasn't enough, particularly in relation to, say, maybe some of their commitments in terms of taxation reform and the next time we got a paper it went from 4 billion to 6.75 billion that they were willing to invest now I think that had something to do with my my being there, but I do think also my other independent colleagues being there were looking for other kinds of national forms of investment that would require us to deal with the housing or the health or the yeah. child care crises so okay I, I, that would I'm be that would be going... one thing that's already happened right. but subsequent to that um I suppose I've also got some commitments in terms of 
as we as we uh, create budgets, both the 2017 one and the ones that uh, that follow, that we will be considerably more attentive to seeing how the decisions we make prior to announcing a budget will impact the um, issues relating to. Um, equality in terms of people's income and background, equality in terms of women, how much um, investment uh, in terms of people with disabilities. We'll look and see how does that influence the kind of change that's required in order to support these people being in a greater position to participate in society. So they've agreed to gender and equality proofing our budgets as part of that independent budgeting office that everybody's yeah. talking but about that's uh, going to be produced. The, the, uh, by the way, Paul McQuaid in Portobello reminds me that you are Canadian, are you not? Uh, well, <laughs> I got married in Canada. I'm from Seattle, okay, Washington right. originally. Yes. Uh, right, that's what I thought, but mm-hmm. that's close to the border. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, the the issue here um, is is that what surprised me because I've got your yes. eight point plan yes. in front of me okay. the, your yeah. commitment the to change yes. in the program for government all right what where it differs from other ones I've seen yes. is that you essentially want what I would describe as national commitments, although some of them reflect your background and and things that are important to you. But nevertheless, they are national things. You haven't sort of looked to uh, get uh, a roundabout in Dublin 14 or something. You're with me. And therefore, what I'm interested in is you, you raise the issue of homelessness. Uh, the the issue of diversity in our schools, equality remains whether in terms of finance, gender, or or yes. or poverty remains one of the biggest. Like we're we're becoming more unequal rather than more equal, which is astonishing as we've got wealthier. It does is that sort of your motivation? Yeah, yeah, no, completely and absolutely. And I suppose ultimately, I made a political discernment choice that if I were to participate in government over the next couple of years or however long it lasts, that I would have a greater place to influence and maybe to implement some of the commitments to change that I've got, as well as maybe bringing forward that equality agenda. I mean, every TD has to make that decision. Where are they going to, where do they uh, sit to provide the greatest influence in terms of their policies and values. And I felt in the process of having those discussions over the last number of weeks that I could do it better in um, as an independent rather than out sitting on a bench, um, I suppose really maybe criticizing and calling for the kind of things that I, I share with many of, of the independents, including women's equality or more affordable and quality childcare. I mean, as you say, I do have, and I'm just releasing today, a number of commitments, I think, in the cur- currently where the negotiations are at, greater access to higher education for lone parents. Um, that we should consider a right to housing in this new uh, committee that's been established on solving and ending our housing crisis. So I think those are all, I've got those commitments now, but how far will they go? Um, Will they go further if I'm actually in there as an independent or outside? I just discern that that they could go further within if I'm in. Well, there is... A reaction to, and and I'm going to take the one that is the toughest reaction, if you like. And it's from Anthony in Cork, which basically says uh, that he doesn't like foreigners like you coming over here telling us what we should and shouldn't do. And that the kind of thing that you wouldn't be entertained in Seattle, Washington, and and, uh, bigger fools us for listening to you. That's paraphrasing his text. How do you react to that? Uh, well, you know what, actually, George, I think I recall a similar kind of sentiment that you raised with me in earlier conversations even years ago when we were talking about the issue of marriage equality. And, you know, I, I accept that some people consider myself a foreigner, but I am an Irish citizen as well as an American citizen. And here, as an, as both, as especially as an Irish citizen planting down my roots to be with my beloved Anne Louise, to work with the people in the communities, especially of, of Tala and West Tala. And it's out of that life experience that has led me to believe that the kind of equality issues that I'm putting forward, most and many 
Irish people want too. So, uh, you know, I, I, I think that um, I've demonstrated, I suppose, that commitment to change and equality, worked with others to get it. And I think that probably has something to do with both the fact that I am Irish as well as the fact that I'm originally American, and I'm proud of that. And I think that can-do attitude that you're experiencing now. And I've been in that stadium in Boston College. I mean, that's, as you know, where I met my beloved Anne Louise. And, you know, it's that that I bring, um, and, and it continues to be part of who I am. And Yeah. Um, I, yeah. It, Deputy Zabon, there's one point I'd like yes. to make in answer to a lot of critical texts here. Uh, you put yourself forward uh, in Dublin Southwest uh, to the people, and the people elected you. And I think every single person who disagrees with you, uh, and I don't necessarily agree with many things you talk about, it doesn't matter. You now are an elected representative in Dáil Éireann, and you are no different from the other 150-odd colleagues that sit in those benches. You've been elected, and the people of Dublin Southwest don't care where you were born, uh, what your your gender preferences are, or anything else, they elected you. So as far as I'm concerned, you and any of the other 150 are perfectly entitled to come on this program and put forward the views that you hold. And that to me, is what's important. Greg, for instance, says you don't represent him. Well, of course you don't. He probably didn't vote for you. You represent the people who voted for you. And the critical thing I now want to get to really is there's Catherine's opponent's policies that, that if you were part of a minority government, you would want to see happen over the next number of years of the life of the government. What do you think is now going to happen? Because you were, after all, the only independent who voted for that. Uh, yes, uh, I was. And um, I suppose that uh, the fact that I decided to, to do that on the basis of what I've already spoken about, to take that risk. Um, and I think, you know, I am uh, familiar with uh, taking risks in order to create change, is that I just thought pra pragmatically, in order to move things on, it seemed that at, the, at that stage that it was the most likely outcome, a Fine Gael-led minority government. And if that's the case, then let's get on with it and move on with it and let continue to try to, again, negotiate some changes on behalf of the policies that we've been talking about, my manifesto, my commitment to the people when I talk to them in Dublin Southwest. And and that's and that's and that's what I I, I believe. So as we move forward in these next I believe that you know, George, again, like it, for the people who've stayed out of the negotiations, they made a decision too. They ultimately decided that they can progress their policies more outside rather than inside, and I respect that. But you know, I, I think the same—I um, just suppose—the same respect I think could be owed somebody who's decided that, out of a discerning process and an experience of discussing these things, getting some commitments for change. Uh, there's a there's going to be a citizens assembly that's going to be established. I hope within six months to to include a referendum to discuss a referendum on the Eighth Amendment. That's a red line issue for me, and it's there now. So I mean, but you know, to implement it again, I think it's more useful if I'm in rather than out. That's just the decision. But I'll tell you, in these next two days, what we do need, obviously, is that Fina Fall ultimately agree to. Um, as they, the language they use is to facilitate um, a Fine Gael-led minority government. Uh, at this stage, it looks like largely, if only, with independence. Um, and if they do that, and it's an acceptable to me as well as to the others, and that I continue to get some progress on these issues that I've identified, then maybe and please, you know, we will move forward. I think. In light of all the polls that have been conducted, if we were to go back to the people, maybe some of the numbers might change in terms of who's in what party, but we'll still probably be faced with having to put together a minority government. And that's what we're okay. trying to do right now, and it's a huge challenge. Thanks so much for joining me, Independent TD for Dublin Southwest, Catherine Zabon. The Right Hook with the new Mitsubishi Outlander 7-seater automatic with sporty paddle shifters for super smooth gear changes at your fingertips. MitsubishiMotors.ie uh, Thank you for all of you for your tweets and your emails and your texts with uh, 
suggestions of what to do here in New England. Uh, I just wish I had time to do all the things you want me to do. Although we did go to the Prudential building last night, top floor, floor 52 no less in the lift. Happily it doesn't stop at any of the intervening floors. And there's a restaurant there called the Top of the Hub, and we were there. And uh, But uh, as we you walk around Boston last night, and this town was just uh, so busy still after the marathon, everybody uh, seemed to have a medal around their neck uh, for finishing 26 miles, uh, 385 yards. Uh, joined now uh, by Shane Coleman, News Talk's political editor, Back in uh, Dublin, in the hot seat. Shane, good afternoon. Afternoon, George. How are you? A government progress, please. Update. Uh, government progress is uh, minor enough, it has to be said, George. Um, the meetings between Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil have moved out of government buildings or the Oireachtas. Uh, you remember they were on that corridor, corridor between the two previously. They've now moved to the Provost's Library in uh, Trinity College. A very sort of plus surroundings, I think it's a, but but more importantly, neutral surroundings. Um, yeah, very exotic, really, the Provost's Library at Trinity College. Dublin. Yeah, it shows how times have changed, because I remember talking to you um, during the election when we were doing our From the Archive piece, and uh, we were talking about uh, the early 80s when Dick Spring and Gareth Fitzgerald were talking, and back then it was a rather Spartan convent uh, somewhere in Donnybrook where the talks t- took place. So maybe in these, uh, I suppose... Uh, less religious times. Maybe that's it. this is a, 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 a better location for them. Um, it, by all accounts, there is some progress being made and they have kind of almost agreed a deal in relation to how the nuts and bolts of this minority government would work. What they are working on now, which presumably will be the trickier part, will be kind of areas of policy difference. Um, Finance Minister Michael Lunan, George, was asked a little earlier today if a deal was halfway there. <laughs> well, you know, in the traditions of the Northern Ireland negotiations, nothing is agreed until everything is agreed. So it's very hard to say what the halfway point is. But it has been uh, business-like and uh, progress was made, certainly. Is that my imagination, Shane Coleman, or is that a very different-sounding uh, Noonan? Uh, he's usually much more kind of grumpy when he talks to the press. Well, he had that kind of he had a smile in his voice. Well, he can do. I mean, sometimes he he plays the the kind of gregarious. The I'm incredibly funny. Uh, he wasn't being particularly funny on that o- uh, occasion. But uh, I mean, I I I think I know what you're getting at. I mean, there are some suggestions. Uh, if you around the corridors of Leinster House, that Michael Lunan has decided he won't be in the next uh, cabinet. That if he were going to be, uh, he would be part of the talks. Now, the other way of looking at it is that Fine Gael are holding him back um, for you know the really serious business close to the end. But it'll be interesting. Uh, will he be the next Minister for Finance if the government, if and when the government is returned? I'm I'm not so sure about that. Some okay. some of the uh-huh. some of the money going on Pascal Donoghue, by the way, to to fill that job. Um, I am, uh, but but. Uh, what about yesterday? You were all gung ho about Labour. I, I, that no, well, didn't last on, very on. long. I wasn't gung ho. Your gung ho lasted about five minutes. No, I wasn't. And gung-ho. then when Labour heard that uh, Shane Coleman was in favour <laughs> of it, they did a run. I, I personally think it would be a good thing if they were involved in it, but I, <laughs> but I, I didn't think they would get it by uh, a party. You conference. did so. You were all optimistic. You're the most optimistic political correspondent on radio. I, I. I if if you mean I'm positive and glass half full, absolutely. I didn't think that they were going to get through this. Uh, this two anyway, party they're conference. not going to. They're not they're going not to. Going. Look, it looks like it just will not wash with the uh, with yeah. the, the membership. We were talking. I, w- I was filling in for Pat this morning, George, and uh, I was talking to former Labour strategist Fergus Finlay. This is what he had to say about it. I think it would be appalling. I, I do not object to the notion of Labour supporting the government from the outside. They, they should be in the position of supporting what they can and criticising what they have to. But Labour has no mandate. If they were to go into government now, it would um, split the party down the middle. Yeah, I agree with him, absolutely. So it was never going to happen. You had some vision that uh, Brendan Howland was going to ride in on a fiery chariot. I said he and, was the only person who could 
probably sell it to the... Uh, That's right. Yeah. Ride in on a fiery chariot. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Listen to me. Are you still coaching the under-12s in Gaelic football? Oh, Under-14s. We've got our failure coming up in two weeks' time, yeah. Well, listen, I'm looking out the window of the studio at the uh, Boston College football field. Mm. And they have a gadget, and the fella feeds the ball into the gadget, and then it fires it at presumably the quarterback or something. So that'd be handy for you. We we have one of them. We have one of them. Skills. We have one of them. Have in you? Yeah. It's 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 called me. Basically, I stand there and fire, and fire <laughs> the ball. <laughs> yeah, we're not. Uh, you should get the machine. No, we don't have that many resources. Um, uh, one last story on uh, on coalition talks. Uh, if you can, if you can bear it, George, I suppose. Um, reports today. Uh, look, I don't think there's any great surprise about this. Uh, suggesting that if and when Enda Kenny is elected Taoiseach, he will step down from that job within a matter of months. Um, now, look, I, and I, don't, I think that's terrible do you not that he's stepping down in the sense of that but it will be impossible to do that with dignity i'm not so sure i'm not so sure about Uh, that yeah like i mean like i surprisingly enough although very critical of kenny in the last effectively since they got into power but like Kenny took Fine Gael over at a, at a time which was worse than they are now when they couldn't buy a seat uh, he went round the country he powered up the the uh, the the locals he 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 he, did, he nearly got elected uh and he was glad he didn't as it in, happened in 07, he yeah. nearly got government yeah he did well in local elections he brought finnegal back there's mm. no question he brought finnegal back no. and to now finish up i think like walking away forced to walk away to keep some kind of government, half-assed government going. I think it's very well, disappointing. I, I don't think it's anything to do with keeping the government going. I think his own party feel he couldn't lead them into another general election. Look, the reality, George, none of what you said is untrue, but you left out one very pertinent fact. He presided over a party that lost a third of its seats in the last general election. And we all know what that means uh, for a leader. You know what? I mean, to, to go back to my glass half full uh, stance of a little earlier, if Enda Kenny gets returned as Taoiseach, he manages to put together a government in these circumstances. And in six or eight months time, uh, having introduced a new system of, of, of politics and at all, he walks away knowing that the country, regardless of what you think of Enda Kenny, the country will be in a better place uh, him leaving as Taoiseach than it was when he took over as Taoiseach. Okay. I think right. I think that's not a bad exit for any Taoiseach, and it, it's one maybe some of our more recent Taoiseach would have uh, would give the right arm for. All right. Well, I I have a contrary view. The other thing, just to tell you, you know, in American football, everybody is an expert in the sense they have only one tiny job. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Like there's so there's a fellow out here who all he has to do apparently is catch it. There's another fellow out here where all he has to do is kick it. He's the punter, obviously. So they just he just spends the afternoon sitting on a bench, and then every time they want to punt the ball, they bring him out. It's bizarre, isn't it? It is actually oh, so bizarre. bizarre. It's really bizarre. But they have a great pitch here. It's not AstroTurf. It's it's a kind of an artificial grass. And then underneath it, they have uh, chopped up uh, car tires, little black pellets. So when the fella gets tackled, a shower of black smoke goes up in the air. I know that pitch well, George. I know the stadium. Here. I know the stadium well. In fact, I uh, I have to tell you, I wooed my wife for the first time about two hundred yards away from uh, from that stadium when I was on That's a, a, my J one. That's disgusting. Bringing a girl behind a football stadium. It was. It, I, I said two hundred yards away. I didn't say at the football stadium. <laughs> oh dear! Too much information. Well, I mean, you know, at least I'd good. I, I wooed Ingrid and in a much more palatial place like the local squash club <laughs> <laughs> dance. <laughs> anyway, Bill Clinton is now trying to fix uh, the government. Yeah, I mean, we've like, reached a sorry like, stage. I mean, I'm not sure this is worthy of <laughs> reporting at all. Bill Clinton was now. I suppose he had to say something, but he was asked. You know, I presume he was asked what the uh, what these parties in Ireland should do, and his advice was uh, that Irish politicians should work together 
rather than stick to their positions in an effort to break the political impasse and form a new government. Now that presumably is why they pay Bill Clinton the big bucks, that kind of uh, state the bleeding obvious uh, advice. Yeah. For some reason it's seen as uh, he worth was in, uh, Yeah, he was in Fitzpatrick's hotel, uh, which is a great hotel. He has two, there are two of them in, in um, New York, one in, in uh uh, Midtown, and then one down to Grand Central. Yeah, I think Station. you and I stayed and there a few years ago in New York. Yeah. yeah, and they're great hotels, and they're big supporters of the Clintons. And uh, so, just on that question of Clinton, uh, Hillary's in, the New York primaries coming up. Have you any? I mean, I, you're now, now I'm in America, but you probably know more about it. What's happening? Well, I mean, it looks like a done deal in for in both. The Republican and the Democratic uh, really? New York Prime. Yeah, I mean uh, Hillary Clinton is ahead by double digits. You would expect her to to win New York. Yeah. Of course, she was. Yeah. She did represent uh, New York for I think it was eight, eight years in in the Senate. And um, it looks like Donald Trump, even though he, he's apparently he's barely campaigned in New York. But look, I suppose his type of politics is going to wash with with New York uh, conservatives. All right. All right, stay there. Uh, we're coming up to noon, of course, in over here. It's quarter to 12. Uh, John Faye suggested I should visit the USS Constitution over here. It was captain in battle by Charles Stewart, Parnell's grandfather, no less. You know, and I, I, I'm going to have Catherine Sapone on the program as well today uh, as to why she is supporting uh, a coalition government. Shane, stay with me. Shane Coleman's with me. We're in Boston. It was incredibly warm for the marathon. In fact, there were suggestions of wearing sunscreen. Wow. Well, it does get very hot uh, in Boston, but it is early to be to be that warm. But uh, yeah, this is probably the most pleasant time of the year to be in Boston, George. Not too, not too hot, uh, not too cold. Um, come here. I am the political editor, but um, I'm also a bit of a, a food fan, as I know yourself are. The, one of the big stories today uh, in in Irish news was Board Bia looked into Ireland's morning eating habits. Now I know you're you're kind of fond of porridge with milk, aren't you? Uh, yeah, I like porridge very much. Yeah. Yeah. And also, of course, I, I got the habit from America, but it's very common in Ireland now, is granola with fruit. It's the secret of my uh, weight loss. That's a kind of hipster breakfast, George, I have to say. Um, is it? Oh yeah, very much, very trendy, very very trendy. What's a, a, a hipster? Okay. Hipster, uh, you know, kind of a, a cool, trendy. You should be living on the South Circular Road. Thirty um, percent of Irish adults have toast for breakfast on the weekdays. Uh, a quarter of adults eat porridge for breakfast on on weekdays. One out of twenty though eat rashers. Uh, you're a great man for eating a fry every day. You're probably one of the twenty that have rashers every day, are you? Well, I I've reduced that intake because of my my weight loss rate. Uh, which I lost over two stone. But I think uh, the Irish breakfast of two eggs, two rashers, two sausages, fried bread, tomato, all that is the ultimate breakfast. Michael Graham is a huge fan as well of the Irish breakfast. He, I don't, but he does. He shares with Ingrid the view that baked beans are a must for the Irish breakfast. Yeah, I would leave the beans off now, I have to say myself. I would too. Can I just share an appalling habit Ingrid has with the Irish breakfast? Please with do. you. I'm sharing it with you only. Of course, it'll be our secret. Well, it's really interesting. She has the Irish breakfast, you know, traditional stuff and all that. And then she comes to the egg, right? And she cuts all the white around the yolk, okay? And she eats that like in the normal way. And then she puts the complete yolk in her mouth. Wow. The complete yolk. I cave it. I fall off the chair at that point. Is the, I would have thought, personally, the yolk is for dipping your sausage or rasher. Yeah, exactly. That kind of stuff. Yeah, no, she doesn't go that route. It's interesting. It is very interesting. The worst possible breakfast, and I actually have to leave the room if this breakfast item is eaten in the in the hotel room or restaurant or whatever and that is kippers i have to leave the room i'm sorry george i'm i'm fond of fish for breakfast it is one of my favorites i do like fish for breakfast and very healthy very good for you as well but you wouldn't eat kippers like i would yeah i would i prefer i prefer something uh, like uh, i don't know a bit of 
Yeah, well, I don't. So, I'm not so sure about kippers. Actually, now that you mentioned, too many bones. Yeah. But a bit, yeah. of ma- a bit of macro. But you know your beloved Downton Abbey. Yeah. Do you remember they used to come down for breakfast, and there would be the all these huge uh, metallic uh, bowls of of uh, stuff uh, uh, there. Yeah, it sounds like Leinster House. You get a few kippers in Leinster House for your breakfast as well, George. All right. Well, uh, the the uh, listeners might have a view on breakfast to five three, one oh six. But what was it the the um, the Downton Abbey chaps used to have from that big bowl? There was a thing that that uh, the British used to have the the upper class British. I can't remember, but it wasn't kippers. It was something else. Anyway, uh, what's this mistake? I mean, Trump seems to be making mistakes every day. Uh, yeah, he, he's made another one has ah, I mean look it, this one could have happened to anyone although it was an unfortunate one given that it is uh, during the New York uh, primary uh, he was talking about the September 11th uh, attacks 9-11 as it has become obviously known have a listen to how he put it I wrote this out and it's very close to my heart because I was down there and I watched our police and our firemen down at 7-Eleven down at the World Trade Center right after it came down and I saw the greatest people I've ever seen in action. Isn't 7-Eleven a yeah. kind of supermarket it or is. something, isn't it? Is. It is. Look, yeah. of all the things... Easily done. Of all Easily the things done. Trump has done over the last 12 months, that's that's pretty low on the list in terms of importance. I, look, I'm not, you can't crucify a man for making a slip of the tongue. I, I think that's a non-story myself. Yeah, mind you also, he was in Buffalo, which is about as far from New York as you can get. It's in New York State, but in relation to, like, Manhattan, it's a zillion miles away. Um, come here, M- Michael D. Higgins, George, was making yeah. a speech, and I suspect this is something you will sort of take issue with. He was very critical of the EU. He said the EU was at a critical juncture. Uh, He suggested how Europe handles the refugee crisis will determine whether the EU will flourish or perish. And he was very critical of how refugees had been treated. He said uh, the calamitous situation jeopardises both the freedom of travel and exposes a severe breakdown of trust. Uh, He said, can we leave millions of mothers and fathers, teenagers, children and babies to wait in uncertainty, hopeless poverty and squalor at the border of Europe? And he went on in that vein. Can we avert our gaze from the even larger numbers of those who are trapped in precarious camps in Turkey, Lebanon and Jordan? Uh, I suspect it's a, a speech you will not agree with. Well, I, I mean, the primary reason, apart from I don't agree with his simple, with his, with his principles about the discussion, he yet again, in my view, has breached the constitutional role of the president about commenting on things. This isn't his job. I mean, you know, Queen Elizabeth wouldn't make this uh, statement, and there's no difference between Queen Elizabeth and Michael D. Higgins in, in the sense that they are just constitutional leaders. They're not elected leaders mm. in the in the sense of government and uh, he's wrong he, he shouldn't interfere I mean Michael Hig- D. Higgins is an avowed liberal I mean uh, I mean, he, he is very liberal which famously <laughs> okay, showed you, you, say it, you say it like a term of abuse almost no, but he's not allowed, I don't think, bring his liberal sympathies uh, into this. Hmm. Yeah, I don't think he's, he's been that. doing it pretty consistently for the last five years. Yeah, it but that be said. doesn't make it right. No, that it doesn't. doesn't make it right. It doesn't. Know? And and uh, I I uh, I'm not sure that he should uh, the. Uh, Thing a lot of people suggesting beans or mushrooms is an English breakfast, says Matsui in Black Rock, who doesn't sound very English. I, I'm and partial uh, to mushrooms, I have to say. And then tripe would be a good advice uh, for somebody like George. And uh, Jack, in turn, you eats uh, fried eggs exactly the same way as Ingrid. Uh, yolk all in one go. I, as I said to you earlier, I, I, I'm a, I, I like to, to dip the sausage in the yolk. I think it's a shame to waste it. 
Okay. Have you uh, any communions or, or uh, confirmations? It's funny, funny you should say it. Uh, my little girl is making her first communion in, uh, in two and a half weeks' time. So, uh, yes, right. we will have one. Okay, well, uh, I'm grateful to Kevin in Old Town. It's kedgery, the British aristocracy had. Uh, curried fish, flaked fish and hard-boiled eggs. All right? The Right Hook with the new Mitsubishi Outlander 7-seater automatic with sporty paddle shifters for super smooth gear changes at your fingertips. MitsubishiMotors.ie all right, welcome back. It's The Right Hook with George Hook. And as you know, we're in Massachusetts all this week, kicked off at the marathon on Monday. But we're really here because uh, Gateway to Europe is here, persuading uh, British com- uh, American companies to come back to Ireland with jobs or business, uh, which is hugely important to our economy. But what uh, is also important is the attraction of our great foreign direct investment program that we're so proud of with some of the biggest Fortune 500 companies in the world locating their head offices to Ireland. Well, Americans don't maybe don't think it's such a good idea. And with me here in Boston is Nathan Proctor. He's National Campaign Director for Fair Share. You, Nathan, welcome to the program. You, you. you might tell me what Fair Share is. So Fair Share is a national advocacy organization that believes that everyone should get a fair share, should do and pay their fair share, and should play by the same rules. And what's happening in America vis-a-vis Ireland specifically? Well, I think, I mean, the most recent news is that our largest drug company, or, or one of the top two largest drug companies in America, Pfizer, maker of Viagra, recently um, uh, had proposed a deal to merge with the Irish company Allergen um, in a move that would have um, absolved it of some $35 billion in tax obligations to the U.S. Treasury. Sorry, uh, do you mind repeating that number? It's 35, that, was, that one deal would have cost American taxpayers $35 billion. One deal? Yes. In Ireland? Uh, yes. Okay, so we... Um, we are facilitating now let's not worry about legal for a moment <laughs> just for a moment because it's obviously legal in ireland uh, we are facilitating nevertheless americans losing 35 billion and not only are of course are you american and uh, the campaign director for fair share but you pay your taxes so therefore this affects you personally yes. and it affects everyone 300 million people who live here Yes, in fact, uh, taxes are due to the state of Massachusetts today. Okay. So there's a lot of people, uh, you know, around us who are, you know, kind of putting putting their last uh, touches on their personal taxes. And uh, I mean, there's, I mean, there are companies that are, you know, do hundreds of billions of dollars in business that pay literally a negative tax rate on their corporate income tax, while you know, the rest of us are kind of footing the bill for that. These are American companies. These yes. Are, these are stars and stripe American companies. Apple, Google, Pfizer. Yes. The, not just American companies, but the premier American companies. If you were to try and quantify, I mean, one deal you said was $35 billion, but But how much money do you think America is losing on an annualized basis to, to all tax havens? Yeah. So I think just looking at the corporate side, it's something like $100 billion a year um, in lost revenue. Um, and then there's also people use tax havens on the indiv- to dodge individual taxes. Um, so the you know estimates range around $150 billion but, but a year. But individuals have been dodging tax in every country since tax was invented. Yes. Yes. And in fact, America is probably the favorite place for Europeans. <laughs> but there is a difference, though, between a corporation absolutely that that is domiciled in the U.S. and but doesn't pay U.S. taxes. I mean, Irish people listening, and we benefit enormously. Enormously, number of jobs uh, that this creates in Ireland is enormous. We're we're part of a group who are here um, to ask. Uh, American companies to invest in Ireland 
uh, not necessarily because of tax. There's a lot of good reasons for coming to Ireland. One, for instance, is it gives you access to the European Union. Uh, we have a high graduate uh, program. They all speak English, which is a plus. A lot of reasons, good reasons to come right. to Ireland. So what do you actually want to happen so, I mean, so right now, I mean, I think the only system that works for Ireland and America and everybody else in the world is a system where corporations are held accountable to pay taxes based on the business they're actually doing um, in, in different places. I mean, it's just too easy for a giant multinational company to just cook the books in such a way that, that they pay nothing. But if they were to pay taxes on the, the income in the country generated, right – then they, they, the business they actually do in Ireland, for argument's sake, the amount of Microsoft Word and Excel or whatever sold in Ireland is probably the equivalent of what you sell in Rhode Island or Delaware or something, you know. So that then, what then happens, and all the, the countries in Europe, for argument's sake, all start... Uh, bleating because they're suffering pain then, don't they? And it might also mean that American companies will be less likely to locate corporate offices outside the U.S. Is that right? <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I think that the the scale of the problem is, like, hard to un- underscore. I mean, it's, we, we think that there's $2.4 trillion in American corporate profits, which are parked off sh- offshore all over the world. $2.4 trillion. Po- $2.4 trillion. How many zeros are there in a trillion, do you know? <laughs> uh, is it is it 9 or 12? I, you <laughs> okay. Know. It's a lot of zeros. It's a lot of zeros. Okay, I get that. Uh, I've I heard estimates that somewhere around 5% of the world GDP is lost to basically some giant sums of money accumulating in offshore bank accounts. Um, I mean, that's a huge amount of wealth that just disappears from a local community. So, and that's not, I mean, no local community has the capacity to be funneling money into these giant corporations and just have that money disappear. What into the you're ether. essentially proposing at Fair Share, and you're the campaign director, my guest Nathan Proctor, with me in Boston, is essentially that these companies who are global, they operate in every country in the world, is that they essentially pay the tax in the country where they do that amount of business. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, most of our work is focused on what the U.S. Congress can and must do um, to kind of protect, I mean, both the American worker and the American economy, but then also recognizing that there's um, all over the world, especially in the developing world, um, as kind of Oxfam highlighted with a new report this week, you know, the tax haven abuse is really drawing resources out of, you know, and like in Zambia, where t- two children die every month of a preventable disease, there are large multinational companies that don't pay tax there. Um, and, you know, they, they can't afford that. And, I mean, in America, even though the problem is so big, there's enough taxpayers. I mean, we're footing the bill for Google and Apple in some ways because they aren't paying the taxes that everybody else has to pay. Uh, but, you know, it's it's not as dire a problem as it is elsewhere in the world. And at the end of the day, we just want a tax system that is fair. But the thing is, you have you have a Senate, uh, and you have a House of Representatives, and you have a President. I don't think you need reminded by me <laughs> that eight years ago in Denver, Obama addressed this very issue in his speech accepting the Democratic nomination for the presidency. He, he And he named Ireland, he named Bermuda, and I think he named the Netherlands, if memory serves. I certainly remember Bermuda and Ireland. So, I mean, eight years later, he hasn't done anything about it either. So, uh, is a port report uh, release I just mentioned from Oxfam actually reported that these Fortune 500 companies spend uh, $2.7 billion lobbying Congress to protect, you know, favorable legislation, including tax legislation. So if you compare that to what is spent on, you know, on our side, on people who are just advocating for the public interest, 
I mean, it, it's very doubtful that we have 1% of that. It's probably yeah, closer to Yeah, but Nick makes the point I exactly make. I mean, he says it's your problem, not ours, because you could solve this if your politicians were willing and president were willing to do it. You'd be happy to hear there are 12 zeros in a trillion. And um, Joe and Galway is asking, you're, and, and again, it's the point you made, you're not suggesting that the U.S. tax global profits, you're suggesting they tax profits generated in the USA. Is that right? Or are you suggesting they tax global profits? So the U.S. has a global tax structure for U.S.-based companies. Um, and the, in, so, so we're really getting into the rules of U.S. taxation. I think All that's right. great. Okay, but so, let's not go that way. <laughs> I, I think we should end the loopholes that allow uh, Fortune 500 companies or huge multinational companies to uh, basically forever delay paying the tax bills that every other company has to pay. But if the the, the world is getting smaller, yeah. right, and, you know, we can buy, I can buy stuff from Amazon in the U.S. and all, and get delivered to my home and all that sort of stuff. So world economy is a very different place than it might have been even 50 years ago. So the, the idea that companies can can they decide that they want their head office to be in Dublin rather than Boston, you can't actually stop them doing that. Isn't that right? So you've, yes. you've got, you do have a relatively complicated fix here. It's not as simple as it, as it might seem at, at first discussion. I, I think that the challenge to coming up with a global system of taxation um, you know, which I think has a lot of merits, and and I think we're trying to kind of at least facilitate some cooperation um, in you know the major world economies. Um, is that there's some level of independence that yeah, every but country I mean, wants we're to have. facing this problem in Europe because we have 27 countries uh, in the EU. Each of them has a different tax system, and they don't like the Irish either because we have a lower corporate tax rate than France or or other countries. And they're trying to bring in uh, a corporate tax rate rate for 27 countries, and all 27 countries say, "No, you can't do that. We're entitled." to fix the corporate tax rate for our country if we so wish. Um, so it, it, there's so much money at stake here. This is the problem yeah. that $2.5 trillion overseas from America, you might actually cure poverty in the States with that amount of money. Or every kid in America go to university. Or you might fix cancer. I mean, that's the size of this money. Yes, I mean it's it's unfathomable quantities of money. But but then you have companies here in Boston who are like down the road because they haven't the wherewithal to go somewhere else. They're paying Massachusetts tax and U.S. federal tax and all the rest of it. Yeah, I mean I think that the competition side of it is a really compelling story for me to think that. Um, you know, if I'm a startup business and I want to make some product to compete with Apple, I have to compete with Apple while paying a set of taxes that Apple has figured out not how not to pay. Um, and I think we want a world economy where, um, you know, people are incentivized to build sure. new things and start new companies. And, and right now it's kind of a winner-take-all system because the biggest companies in the world play by their own rules. And that hurts, you know, innovation and hurts local job growth. Just before you go, the fact that the Pfizer deal uh, was 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 dumped on, that must have given you hope for the future. Then, yeah, it was it was um, I think the largest inversion we'd seen, and uh, we, you know, kind of as a large coalition through the Americans for Tax Fairness, uh, you know, we put a lot of effort into highlighting just how bad a deal that was for Americans. Um, and it's not very often that we take on these huge companies and get a okay. get a solid win. All right. Uh, Nathan Proctor, National Campaign Director for Fair Share. Your thoughts, as always, uh, to 53106K. Um, so uh, Mike in Dublin think Hook is kissing ass today, so I'll refrain from tuning in. I'm not sure if kissing ass on tax issue uh, or anything else, but do let me know before you go, MK in Dublin. Uh, tell me whose particular backside I'm gay. Uh, 
in Kissing. Joan Wexford says there are more Americans working for Irish companies in the US than there are Irish people working for US companies in Ireland. Surely that's a factor also. The Right Hook with the new Mitsubishi Outlander 7-seater automatic with sporty paddle shifters for super smooth gear changes at your fingertips. MitsubishiMotors.ie Well, uh, what's making a lot of people uh, blood boil is the issue of free GP care for the under sixes because many doctors will not sign up because they feel the practices will either be overwhelmed or they won't be able to give uh, the right kind of attention to uh, people who come in who are sick and and particularly if something is free doc many doctors say that the mothers bring them in because they know it's not going to cost them anything. Well, the parenting website, mumstown.ie, is run by Siobhan O'Neill-White, who joins me now. Siobhan, welcome to the program. Hi, George. You probably think it's a great idea, do you? The free GP care for under sixes, it's a great idea, yeah. And it's, it was long overdue when it came in. And... Oh, the poor doctors. God, the amount of times that I went in there with a small child and they were very quick to get the 50 quid off me before they did anything else. So it's hard to have sympathy because I have a 13-year-old. So I was paying full whack when he was a baby and I have four children. So until that came in... full whack. You're paying full whack for the 13-year-old now. You're paying full whack for yourself. Uh, like, it's different when they're babies. That's the way so. it is. But it's different but when they're babies. that's the way it is. No, I don't agree because when they're babies, they're more prone to things. They're only building up their immune systems. And, you know, you, you, you worry more when they're small because they can't tell you what's wrong and if they're crying and they're sick and they're upset and it's going on for a while and you feel you might need to go and see the doctor. You know, I remember when I lost my job a couple of years ago when Mitchell was small, I remember that worry of where am I getting 50 quid now to go to the doctor. And that, that's a terrible situation to be in, to have to worry about that. And gee, I might have to borrow that off my mother now and give it back to her next week or whatever. And that's the real situation that people were in. And then for working mothers, the absolute nightmare and working fathers, the absolute nightmare of getting time off and getting to the doctor and getting the appointment and... You might have an appointment at three o'clock and not get seen till four or half four, depending on how the surgery's sorry, going. Sorry, Siobhan. Mm. How does how does free care help a working mother get an appointment? No, it doesn't. What I'm saying is, it's such it's so difficult for a working mother to take the time to go and get an appointment that I don't think working mothers would abuse this system, and I don't think the GPs have a valid point there. I think some people, by their nature, will abuse the system because that's the nature of anybody getting something free. There will always be a percentage of people who take advantage of it. That's just human nature. But generally speaking... uh, No, but surely, yeah, that is the point, though. As soon as you give something free, it becomes devalued. Well, I suppose... As soon as it's... Whatever, as soon as it's free... Yeah, to a point. To a point, George. But, like, my time is very valuable. So, yes, I have free GP care, so I have a four-year-old. But unless there's something I I am concerned and there's something legitimately wrong, I'm not going to go and make an appointment and spend however long it takes in the in the GP's office unless I absolutely have to. And I think a resource a lot of parents don't know that they can use is to just call into your local pharmacy and ask for their advice before you go. I do that regularly. Um, if I'm not sure about if they have something wrong, if I'm not sure if I need to go to the doctor or not, I'll often pop in and ask the pharmacist and they'll say, you know, yay or nay, they'll give me some good advice. And that cuts down on the time that I need to spend to get it resolved. But... The, the the thing is that you have a child who's five and a half mm. and you have a child who's six and a half. The child who's five and a half is free. The child who's six and a half isn't. Mm. Isn't there an enormous illogicality to that in that children uh, at six and a half get just as sick as children who are five and a half? I suppose in my experience, they, they got sicker more when they were smaller, my children certainly. When they were younger, they were more prone to, to different viruses and things like that. And I was just, when they're smaller, I think it's more worrisome because they can't always communicate to you what it is. So I think it's a great thing that we have the free GP care and it's peace of mind for parents and that's a good thing. I suppose, yeah, there's not much of a difference, but they're saying now they're going to bring it in up to the age of 12. That Well, that's, it's been a conversation. Whether or not it goes ahead now, we'll have to wait and see. 
but but surely the 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 issue also is that um a huge number of people have free care because they have medical cards mm. do they not like we have an enormous yeah. number of medical cards don't we we do, but I mean, think about the cost of childcare and all the taxes and everything that people have. So, like, uh, the majority of people are just kind of muggling on by at the moment. It's not an easy economy to be living in. So, if you have a medical card, great. And if you don't and you have small children, especially if you're paying for like creches and things like that, having that GP card, it's an absolute lifesaver because the cost of a visit to the GP, if you're paying for childcare on top of everything else, you know, that's 50 quid that's going to go a long way in your pocket rather than having to fork it out for a child that has a virus. And that could be three or four times a year. And then if you have yeah, a child that's a Yeah, but that's assuming the child has a virus. The, mm. the, uh, the, the GP who comes on says that the mother, hypochondriac mothers are filling up doctor's mm. surgeries uh, with babies who, in fact, have nothing wrong with them. I don't know who these mothers are now because uh, certainly not hearing about it on Mumstown and we've got 22,500 members and followers and it's um, it's not a conversation that we're hearing about. Um, but, you know, I mean, I've been that mother, the first-time mother, and, you know, a lot of the time you are kind of fobbed off and sometimes the doctors are right and sometimes the doctors are not right. And, you know, I have a friend and she was told you're a first-time mother, you're overreacting, and it didn't end well there. So I think if you're a parent, you know your child better than anybody else. And if you are genuinely concerned, having the peace of mind of the free GP card to go and have your child looked at is a good thing. But if you're on the fence and you're not sure, I'd say pop into your pharmacy first and get some advice. Because I'm sure some doctors have a legitimate reason for saying it. Maybe there's an area where there's a lot of you know, young families, they have a lot of small children and they are having a lot of um, extra people coming in because of this free GP card. So there's a little bit of understanding for what they might be going through. But it's, it's hard to garner sympathy when I was having to fork out 50 quid every time one of my kids got sick when they were small. It was a lot of money to fork over. All right. Thank you so much. Yvonne O'Neill White uh, runs uh, mumstown.ie. The Right Hook with the new Mitsubishi Outlander 7-seater automatic with sporty paddle shifters for super smooth gear changes at your fingertips. MitsubishiMotors.ie Welcome back. George here with The Right Hook. We're in Boston College. Of course, the Boston Marathon yesterday. And then we're supporting the Gateway to Europe initiative, bringing jobs back to Ireland. But I was contacted and really thrilled by uh, 10 runners from the Royal College of Surgeons in Ireland who ran in the marathon, came over here uh, to raise money for charity. Well, as you can imagine, it's not space uh, for 10 and indeed the seven who turned up this morning have only got space for three but they're going to talk on behalf of their colleagues first up is Ruan Ole um, Oskelga or Ruan Lee Osberla Ruan, you're captain of athletics, aren't you? Yeah, I'm the captain of the running club, yeah All right, okay so seven of you came over here Had uh, what sort of marathon experience had you got? Uh, well, we all had to run the Dublin Marathon, and we right. picked like the top people from that to come over to Boston. It's uh, it's our 17th time coming over. We come over every year, and it's always Dublin Marathon and then Boston. Oh, I see. So you actually had test run. I mean, it was like Dublin was a qualification. Yeah, essentially. Of... Now, remind me, Dublin is October, though, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Okay, so you got you got time to recover and all yeah, that yeah. sort of good yeah, stuff. Six months, okay? yeah. Um, Women and men, you've got what? Four girls, three men, two boys. We actually have ten runners over. Three oh, of them right. aren't here, so we five and five. Oh, so right. we picked. We actually picked the four top male, four top female, and then we kind of picked a wild card from male and female, just for people who like like to run and didn't do such a good time. Okay, so what was the best time achieved by the group? Uh, in Dublin, it was two fifty-seven. Wow. And then Boston was three o two. But I thought Boston was a fast course. I, is that not right? It was not? really hot. Like, yeah. we're obviously not used to the heat. Like, <laughs> Dublin was so wet and windy, and we love it. But, <laughs> but Boston was so hot, we were all sweating, and we found it really tough. It was um, okay. we were really tired. We, we should raise the standard of this uh, uh, interview by asking you what, what you study at Surgeon's Medicine. I yeah, yeah. I'm in my fourth year, so next year's my final year. Okay. And and what are you proposing to do? But you know, pediatrics or uh, orthopedic. Or I'm actually I'm interested in infectious disease. 
that they feel that schoolgirls wearing shorter skirts is a bad idea. Yeah, maybe maybe that? it was our school that brought in that uh, trend. I think it was. All right. Well, I want to go back to the mature student here, Ruth <laughs> Carey. Yeah. You did a science degree and then you went to surgeons. Now, the interesting thing about surgeons is you've got an incredible number of nationalities there. Yeah. Because when I drive to the office, I actually go down York Street. You know, I go past your front mm-hmm. door. And the, the people, come, the students coming out are of every nation on earth pretty well. Yeah. But a big connection with the Middle East, isn't that so? Yeah, I'm big with the United Arab Emirates and Kuwait. And we actually had a guy from Saudi Arabia on our team as well. He didn't come in here today, but... Uh, you know, because that, does that make a difference? I mean, are they, the language would have to be pretty good. I mean, to, if, if you studied medicine, your English would want to be pretty good, wouldn't it? Definitely, yeah. Yeah. Right. How tough is it like? Is it tough to, to qualify as a doctor, is it? I mean, I know it's a cinch to do, like, economics or something like that. Is medicine hard? Yeah. <laughs> is it? Yeah, having done science, I actually think, I actually find it a bit easier than science. Yeah. It's more interesting, so that's Did why. Did you tell me you were in year four? Year three. Of so five. are you in hospital yet? Like? Yeah. Oh, so you're down A and E, practicing on people without a clue. Like. <laughs> yeah, that's me. <laughs> and what year did you say you were Irish Fourth. speaker? Fourth. All right. Can so can you sort of say? Um, do you use uh, high protein uh, products in your evening meal, Askelga? No. <laughs> oh, so if Irish speakers come in, they're lost. They all come in looking for Dr. Ruin only. I want a final question for you, actually, Ruin, and, and Ruth. In hospital, right, you have a white coat, yeah? mm-hmm. and you have a stethoscope around your neck. Ruth, yeah. everybody actually thinks you're a doctor and thinks you know something, don't they? We put our stethoscopes in our pockets. But don't they, <laughs> no, but don't they think you know something? Probably, yes. Yeah, but you just don't. No. Like you're practicing. <laughs> All right. Okay. Listen, it's great having you. Um, what was the best time, Captain, d- delivered by an RCSI student? That was Owen over there. Yeah? Um, yeah, he did 3.02 yesterday, and he did 2.57 in Dublin. Beating three, three hours is, you're a serious athlete. So, yeah, and he's 21 as well, so he's and only going to go down from there. Yeah, pharmacy. And then he started running last year. He's a great year, boy. <laughs> That's really good. Yeah, so is. listen, my guests, Rowan O'Lee, Ruth Carey, Nola Murphy, thanks so much for coming in and Thank the rest you. of the team. And and uh, congratulations for coming over here. Presumably you raised a truckload of money for charity. Yeah, we, we um, raised over three grand for uh, Floating Doctors. It's a charity in Latin America, the Caribbean. They uh, have a clinic on a ship, essentially, and they just go around to these rural right. coastal areas. Okay, so the right hook is going to throw a check in the pot. Is oh, that okay? Thanks very oh, much. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. It, take it as your fee. <laughs> okay? So the right hook will write a check. Thanks so, thanks, so thanks so much. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Thank you. Cheers.